Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to answer the question, what is it that makes something wrong? Yes. Like what is it that makes a behavior decision, an act wrong? And uh, I think you'll find this more interesting than I just made it sound, but (laughs) it's going to be good. What episode are we on, John? Is this 56? 56, I'm pretty sure. Episode 56. Welcome to episode 56. We're going to talk about what makes something right or wrong. Not going to talk about what makes it right. We're really going to focus on what makes it wrong. Yeah, I feel like right is easier. Yeah, most it of, is. Most of the time. Yeah. And so I think this will help all of us think about the alignment of our values and um, how we decide. This is really how human beings decide whether something is right or wrong, particularly in our culture. Our culture has a thinking pattern about how to decide if something is wrong, and therefore they resent it if you say something is wrong that doesn't fit that thinking pattern. So that's what we're going to talk about. I think it's going to be really useful. Oh, it's succinct. Very succinct. <laughs> and uh, before that, though, it is story time, John. I don't even say joke or story time because I hope you never tell another joke. I'll, well, I do stories most of the time anyway, so you're, you're fine. <laughs> even though the jokes I have told are very good. Oh, yes. Uh, so this story is about um, uh, other Afraid stories. not. Yeah, that was great. I just tied that into your, no, you said I, all the jokes I've said were good. I said, Oh, I see. Well, see what I did there. I see. That was a lame <laughs> joke. Uh, this is about. I was. I was racking my head for stories. I haven't lived that adventurous of a life, so I, you know, I run out of these things. And uh, and uh, you informed me. You said, "Well, what about stories of? They don't have to be snapshots. They can be long um, arcs, or how you got to a certain point, or yeah, how you became you. What yeah. some little piece of this thing that turned you into a different part of you, or." Well, if listeners have seen our movies episode, uh, when I was growing up, I was born in 1995. They wouldn't have seen our episode. They would have listened to if, it. If they've listened to it. Same thing. If you've consumed our movies there episode. I'm trying not to pick on you. I'm just, it was. A, it but was. I make it so easy. <laughs> uh, and uh, so anyway, these uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies directed by Sam mm-hmm. Raimi came out. And I believe the first one's 2002, then 2004, and then 2007, I think was the three. Uh, and uh, and so I was, you know, for the first two are really the the ones. And I was, you know, I must have been, if I'm doing the math on the fly, eight and then ten, I guess. Or eight and then nine, seven and nine. Depending on when they came out of the year, I don't actually remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, and I'm sure I didn't see them when they came out because I was young. But we got them on DVD and I'd watch those things like crazy. Like all all the time. And uh, I didn't realize until recently. I still love him. I, I've watched him uh, recently. Every and now his again. name is Toby McGuire? The actor, yeah. 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 Uh, they totally hold Who up. names their son Toby? Is that know. an acting name, maybe? You think? No, I have a good friend named Toby. Uh, oh, that's true. I like the name. I don't yeah. know. Okay, well, so anyway. Tobias is the name. I like you know, uh-huh. it. It's regal. Yeah. It has authority. Yeah. Tobias. Yes. I like. What do you think of the name Ruben? Uh, the sandwich. I can't get it past the sandwich. Yeah, but if you could. I don't know. Yeah. I like the name um, Hieronymus. <laughs> I, I I have fallen in love with that. Yeah. Name. Yeah. Well, anyway, so the realization I had much later, I'm a big fan of these movies, watch them all the time, and I didn't realize till much later that they actually shaped my narrative preference for stories for my whole life, hmm. and I didn't even realize it until recently. Um, I have a huge preference for smaller Story. So there's this big, you know, the trend now is there's this huge joke about sky beams. Every superhero movie and a lot of non-superhero movies from like, I want to say like 2010 to like three or four years ago would end with a big sky beam. Normally it was blue. Some some villain's contraption <laughs> would cause a great blue sky beam to go up and the heroes would have a big battle and the sky beam would either open a portal yeah, or they got to close something. that portal or they got to stop let anybody come through the portal yeah. in man of steel. It was like something that was going to turn their planet into a different planet and kill everybody in the process. 
in, in uh, Avengers. It's a portal where all these aliens. And so are that's out this, of. you know, cosmic battle. Yeah, that's the big story you're talking about. You don't, you know, right. tend to or I get sick of it. And uh, Spider-Man has low stakes. There's, you know, lots of civilian lives at stake. In the second one, it's the entire city of New York. Still pretty big, but yeah. not the planet. Right. Uh, and I've talked in that same episode. I talked about my love of Jaws. And really the power of the edit, the power of the less things that you see, and generally the more lean the story is, the more effective it is, mm. the less chances you have to just be ridiculous. I think that's why uh, the original trilogy of Star Wars is is amazingly better than the next three, because George Lucas in the first three had a limited budget, limited technology, and then in the, the, the prequels, he no one said no to George Lucas. There's a this hilarious hilarious clip they did a documentary of the making of episode one and at the end uh near release they show the finished movie to all the people who made it the people in production george lucas is there his editors writers and they're watching it and it ends and it's just silence and george leans over to one of his producers and he says i think i may have gone overboard in a few places (laughs) 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 because the guy can't help himself right he just he goes as big as he possibly can and it ruined those movies. Yeah. Whereas those first ones are about these little people in this little part of the world. Exactly. With their little their little planet's going to be destroyed. Well, it's still, it's still the scale there, or the, the stakes are still high. The whole galaxy's at stake in sure. Star Wars. But the story is like, you know, seven characters. Yeah. It's not like... Anyway, so... And okay. then and Jaws is the example. Um, the shark they made kept having technical problems. They had this big fake robot shark. And they couldn't, get, yeah, they couldn't get it to look real and right. to, it to, to obey. It wouldn't do what they wanted it to do. And so they have very little footage of the shark in the movie, and it makes it much, much better. Uh, anyway, that's what came to mind, mostly because I like talking about the Spider-Man movies. But, uh, but my love for, for small and lean uh, stories. And I actually, I love the MCU. I mean, who doesn't? Fun, those are fun movies, but I don't have the, the I don't have the MCU Marvel cinematic universe, all uh, the Marvel movies. Yeah. I don't have the same appreciation for them as I do the, the smaller ones. So I'm, I'm trying to extrapolate a theory out of this. And the theory might be that that, which you watch in formative years shapes how you, the kind of stories you like, or well, I think so. And I think that's why star Wars is such a big deal, uh, culturally because so many, um, now, um, in the prime of their career, respected creators, directors, writers, storytellers, uh, were were molded by Star Wars. Yeah, uh, and and that's why it became this um, touchstone, this uh, this language hmm. that people could use because it was so um, relevant or relevant, relevant. Thank yeah. you. So relevant at the time of their youth. Yeah, I think that's my hunch. That's interesting. Yeah. And that's why kids who came up during the prequel time, which would include me, maybe I was slightly too old, or maybe Spider-Man just got to me first, but a lot of people who love the prequels as kids, now I appreciate them even as adults, even though I would say they're objectively bad. But, you know, that's just not my Right, right. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, that's my story time, if that even counts. Yeah, I think it counts. <laughs> You're letting us in, uh, letting us behind the curtain of what goes on in the in the brains of Jonathan Andrew Ladd. That's me. Yeah. Yeah. I okay. like it. Hopefully, I'll I'll have more that come to mind of the misadventures that I've had. The very few of them. Well, All right. Okay. Let's let's talk about this. Were you going to start? You going to tee it up? Oh, you you tee it up. Well, um, so um, we were having this conversation. You you and I had a conversation a while back where you were mm-hmm. talking about uh, you were letting me in on why people think a certain thing might be right or wrong and this principle. So we'll, I don't want to steal the thunder on that. Let's save that for a sure. second and let's catch up to what recently made me have this conversation with you was, um, my wife and I were going to, um, go to this event that was put on by these people and there were these other people involved and there were other people than that involved and we were talking to someone about this event, and they mentioned one of the parties involved <clears throat> and said they're wonderful people, um, and they're swingers. <laughs> and we were like, swingers? You know, there's swingers in Olympia? turns out, I guess, there's quite a community of swingers in Olympia. Swingers per capita is... Yeah, it's pretty high. Yeah. So, um, so um, if you're listening to this with your kids, you can explain or not explain what a swinger is. These swings they get on and stuff, and uh, <laughs> rope swings, rope tire swings, swings, tire swings. Yeah, <laughs> um, and so uh, it was funny because as the day went on, Sue and I kept revisiting this conversation of why somebody would choose a lifestyle like that. 
and what they must think about in terms of intimacy, marriage covenant, um, how would they view those things so that this yeah. would be a so that this would be a natural alignment to their views. Sure. And um, we landed on some things that they must believe about um, sexuality itself and that um, that this to them would be like recreational drugs. Some people or even just maybe a hobby. Yeah. Some people just drink alcohol. Some people do something else. But this is their thing. Some people make model airplanes. Yes. And this is just their thing. And it has no meaning to it. It is just a thing. And therefore, because it's just a thing, um, it doesn't have anything to do with their marriage. Right. And uh, because separation of the emotional and physical intimacy. Yes. And I was thinking about how for me, you know, um, I'm not exactly a dancer. And uh, but when I I've always been surprised at married people who dance with other partners, like in movies or uh, at a dance and how I would be inherently uncomfortable with somebody dancing uh, with my wife. And there's the you know, there's there's a whole study on belonging and connection Mm -hmm. and physical distancing is part of that uh, math. Um, So, for example, sure. So, for example, if you're if you're social distance six feet apart, there's not a lot of connection and belonging there. Right. But you can get into CenturyLink Field with 50,000 of your closest friends and cheer for the Seahawks. And your physical proximity is very tight. Those seats are very tight. Mm -hmm. And you're having a mutual experience around the Seahawks. And the intimacy begins to feel higher than it actually should because you're total strangers. But that physical proximity is a factor in the level of belonging and connection and the identity of you're all there for this one reason yes um you're wearing oftentimes the same colors as each other the same yeah. merchandise this lots but of my story goes codification. on that, yeah that i that i would be uncomfortable with sue dancing closely to another man because mm-hmm. the spacing um inherently makes connectivity more likely sure and um but so we we spent some time talking about that. We spent some time talking about um, about really the alignment of values. What must a person believe about marriage for that to happen? What must they believe about sexuality? What do they believe about God? What do they believe about is monogamy uh, is monogamy a human construct? It's not that we are animals, and so therefore there are animal behaviors we have that have nothing to do with integrity or morality. Mm -hmm. They're just animalistic behaviors because we are animals. So all, and and if they don't have those, if, if there is a conflict in those, um, in what they believe and what they're doing, why that is, is that what you're saying? You're you're assuming that they are acting in alignment with their beliefs. Yes. Because when when they do this, yes, because they do it all the time and they've become a part of a community that does it. So the question would be, um, and that doesn't mean they really are all in. It could be that they feel very guilty and feel a lot of shame about it, uh, some of them. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is where we get into now what makes something wrong. So if there's, if there's someone in that community who feels totally ashamed of themselves all the time, they are, then the culture would say they're doing something wrong, not because it is wrong, but because it violates their own convictions. Well, one thing, and and I'll this will this actually goes into to my uh, observations about it. Um, I've noticed a lot in um, in language about these things w- around shame and guilt is the assumption is, um, and you know I hate using them and they, but but a a, a socially liberal group would say um, if you're feeling guilt about being gay or if you're feeling guilt about um, um, sex before marriage. It is because you were programmed. You were taught to feel that way. Exactly. Uh, as a as a from a young age, from from controlling forces or or socially conservative forces, they taught you that way, and that's why you're feeling guilty. That's what I've noticed. The language they would absolutely used and and uh, observations. It seems to me that uh, the moral system and 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 socially, I understand why this is, or or, or um um, what's the term? politically or sociologically sociologically yeah i understand why this is that that the only things that are wrong currently the main things that are wrong i won't say the only things the main things that are wrong now are things that include that have victims 
uh, any action a person could do that would have a victim that would wrong somebody mm-hmm. is wrong. So, so socially, um, it's still wrong to cheat on your wife because you two agreed and not he did to. so agreed right. not to uh, agreed with each other to make a a bond. Yeah, and uh, and if she's not okay with you cheating on her, then it's wrong because she's a victim. Where if it's an open relationship and you both sleep with whoever you want, it's not wrong because you agreed to it. There's no victim there, uh, and so. Uh, the the presence of a victim with homosexuality. There's no victim. So same with because, like friends with benefits. Right. If right. you both agree that we're just friends, this is nothing except recreation. Right. Then there's no victim. This no victim. is not wrong. And how could it be wrong if no one's getting hurt? Now, that, I want to pause right there. Be, yeah. And just my observations. Yeah. yeah I want to pause right there because that is a significant conversation point. And I want to backtrack just for a minute before we forget or lose the connection um, that you said that um, – Oh, oh, the, the that we were taught the construct. Yeah. yeah. And so um, this this idea, so for those of us who believe in absolute moral truth, we would flinch at that. The only reason you think that um, um, adultery is sin is because you were told that. Yeah. And and we flinch at that because we know this is this is obvious. You know, this is whatever. But but we we need to concede that this does, in fact, happen. For example, um, you meet children who were raised in a home where they were abused and controlled and maybe locked in closets and had horrible things done, and they were told that it is wrong to tell anybody outside the family what goes on inside the family. And mm-hmm. this keeps them locked into a controlled environment. And they have to, then they, when they do finally get free from that or tell someone the atrocities that are going on in their home, they feel incredible shame because they believed they were trained that to say this outside of the house is wrong. Sure. So that does, that is a reality. It is a reality about training So training is an important thing. And that's not, that's not a concession that these moral absolutes don't exist. It just means that this is why God emphasized so much to train these things in them when they were children, because that training does in fact have a large influence and impact on their lives. So I just wanted to, I, I I don't ever want to be the CNN or Fox guy. You know, I don't want to be so narrow and judgmental on my one side that I don't concede the truth about some of the the, the others, the dark side of what sure. I of the truth that this that this potentially powerful good thing yes can also be used all the time. in a terrible way. Yeah. So it is true that we are shaped by what we are taught as children, and that is what God calls us to use for good. Sure. So I am fascinated by this idea that um, of a victimless crime. If there is no victim, there is no crime. Mm-hmm. And that principle. So talk to me about that. Go ahead and try to sell me that as the culture. Like you're the, yeah. you're the culture. Sell me why that well, should be true. It's not To me, it's not just the culture. It, it, on a conscience level, it feels that way a lot of times. When you look at stories like... Uh, like Robin Hood, right? There are yeah. victims there, but they're the rich. They're the the um, snooty. Mm-hmm. They can afford to lose it. So he takes from them and he gives to the poor. And he's still a hero because the victims of his um, perpetrations. Is that a word? I don't know. I've never heard that the word. The victims of his crimes are, uh, they can handle it and they're mean anyway and they're wealthy. And, and it serves an altruistic purpose right, to the, level the playing field for the poor. Right. And um, even... Like just on a, a conscience level, you hear of uh, a person who's uh, felt same-sex attraction for as long as they can remember, and and uh, they would say, you know, they want to be with this person, and the alternative, the only alternative you could think of was be that they'd be alone forever, and that doesn't feel right. It right. feels like they should be with someone they love, and they love the same gender. So it's and there is no it, there is conceivably no victim because they're consenting consenting and, and they both feel the same so way so even not even socially you know, on my own conscience i i get it it makes sense now but, you you blended two things there because um robin hood is not a victimless crime well that, right that's what i'm saying is that that the um the but the, the so when a poor person steals a loaf of bread from the grocery store so that they can eat right that's still a victim there's a there's right, but, a victim but there. what i'm saying is the victim um, uh, who the victim is qualifies how bad the crime is. If they steal the bread from another poor person, they're still doing something wrong. 
if they steal from the market, they're not because the market is some big, big way. And do you think this is a widely held cultural belief? Uh, To me, it is. And I'm always afraid that I'm going to say something on here where people where I'm like, obviously. And then everyone's (laughs) like, what? (laughs) But I think that's true. Well, that's the 99 percent thing is that, you know, um, people who have more should have their wealth redistributed to people who have nothing. And that even if you have to make the the percentage of taxes harsher on them, right? That that's a fair thing to do because of a redistribution principle. But and so basically, my only point is that the the victim qualifies the crime. That if you steal something from a grandma to feed your family, and she needs that bread oh, too, it's still it's it, there's there's no ethical gray. Okay, so something's not wrong if there is no victim. Mm-hmm. These are the pillars of maybe uh, the morality of the, the culture. The, the the secular rule book is what this seems like. Okay. If, if, you, if you're not looking at the Ten Commandments, you're not looking at God's Word. Right. At just what people seem to be and what laws seem to think are right yeah. or wrong. Why, why it's not wrong to or why it's not illegal to cheat on your wife, but it is wrong to cheat on your wife. Um, you know, so, like okay. So this is really fascinating to me. So uh, um, uh, cultural Moral principle number one, if there is no victim, there is no crime. By by John's observations, this is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> number two, um, the, the um, condition of the victim could determine the severity of the crime. Or the innocence of the victim or their means or. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the con- yeah so the context of the victim either intensifies the crime or minimizes the crime. Yeah, same thing with um, uh, revenge killings. Uh, yeah. A father's daughter You walk in, she's, she's getting beat up, and you pull out a gun and kill him. Yeah. Or, or, or she got beat up, and you track him down and kill him. Right, exactly. And, and it is, uh, there's more sympathy for those people because the victim was, a, was, was not innocent. And you could say, well, was he really wrong? Right, exactly. And, and generally, then the idea is if you're ready, to, and we can keep talking about this if you want, but then the... the juxtaposition as the word you used mm-hmm. in church today uh is that uh that we believe in in righteousness of a certain code regardless of our own personal um yeah is there is it. there an absolute truth about some rights and wrongs yeah are some things wrong simply because god said it's wrong right versus it doesn't matter if it has a if it has a victim because god is the victim yeah and the the original sin and you would say yourself is the victim as well yeah when 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 you violate god's laws you hurt yourself well and i think that's the big that's the big thing and like adam and eve the original sin the only victims were adam and eve and god and 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 god and well really the separation from god and all that did for all of humanity Mm -hmm. but they didn't know that and uh, it was sin because they disobeyed God. That was that's this, that's really what it boils yeah. down to. What's so terrible about that fruit? Right. God told you not to eat it. Right. That's it. That's the borderline, or the the um, the the boundary. The boundary. And uh, and I think maybe that's what's missing is the victim is you when you don't live because really the the commandments are wisdom. It is. It's not always, you know, if you do this, you will surely die. Mm-hmm. But it is. Uh, um, your cylinders aren't going to be firing right. You're designed a certain way, and if you act a certain way in alignment with that design, then you're 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 fulfilling. So that. suicide is wrong because it's a murder, and you're mm-hmm. the victim of that murder is yourself. But we're seeing even that slide where people say that you should be able to have medically induced suicides if you uh, have a terminal disease, but not just because you don't want to live anymore. I've uh, yeah, that, I, don't, I, I don't know of anybody that advocates for suicide for any reason. I have heard of that, but it's probably a fringe, a fringe argument for for a, a small amount of people who would. So say sticking that to the thread here, we would say suicide is a crime, and it is a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, you do actually, if you don't succeed in the suicide, you have committed a, you have attempted a crime. Um, I don't imagine they get prosecuted very often. Uh, probably not, but but that'd be we we <laughs> we call that wrong because yeah. you're you're in you're murdering someone who happens to be you, and so following that thread of thought, violating God's laws is a crime against yourself because you may not think so, but you are sabotaging your humanity. Right. So, and that's why I think when you get into the arguments, people say you should be able to legally commit suicide, and the more the more common one is. In cases of terminal illness or or, right. or uh, illnesses that will uh, what's the term they degrade over time they um, oh like a deterioration deter- yeah kind of yeah, yeah de- deteriorating uh, illness that you should be able to elect to end your life at some point so you don't have to go through the worst of that right because you have 
sovereignty over yourself, mm-hmm. um, where we would say um, that the self is a victim in the same way these other ways don't lie because you will be the victim of that lie at the end of the day. Um, or other other things. I'm, I'm blanking on examples, which is really funny because I feel like I had a bunch coming into this. <laughs> um, but of not of victimless sins. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so what makes something wrong for a Christian? And can you think of something that would be on the bubble? Some people say that's wrong. Some people say it's not. It's wrong to do that. Is it wrong to always lie? Is it always wrong to lie? Well, and we talked about this in our absolute uh, morality episode, yeah. but but there are examples where it is not wrong to lie in the in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's not affirmed; it's just stated, and there is a reward. Yeah, so I'd call that affirmation. Yeah, it would it would seem so. Yes, uh, and I think most of the gray areas that I can think of when it comes to biblical morality, the times where it does get um, uh, less clear, is times of emergency like that. It's not people going about their daily lives. It's mm-hmm. Um, it's these cases of genocide that we see in the in the Bible or, or right. um, of war, wartime stuff. I think you were talking about a story today about a uh, about a prophet who was told not to stop anywhere and have a yeah, meal. Yeah. Walk me through that. Do you remember where that is in the scriptures? Uh, I believe it's Kings. I forget which one. Um, or it might be it might be Samuel. It's the story of Elijah. Um, soon after Elijah's story, or somewhere in the middle, um, he uh, basically the the scriptures refer to him as a nameless prophet. And it says this nameless prophet is given a message from God to tell to this king. And he goes and tells the king. And God had also told him, do not, um, uh, once you've told him, come straight back to your home. And do not go to anyone's home when you're there and eat with them. Don't don't share a meal with anybody. Just go there, give your message, come home. And uh, one of the priests of the king um, tricks him and says, hey, God told me to tell you to come eat with me. So, hey, I have a new word of God. He says it's okay to eat with me. Right. And this guy uh, takes the bait. And I don't believe that this priest was actually, um, I don't think he was trying to get this guy killed. I think he just had more questions for him. But anyway, he uh, eats with this priest. And on his way back, a lion comes and kills him and then stands by his body without eating his body. Just kills him and stands by his body. And the implication being that that God killed this man through the lion because Mm. he disobeyed the word of God. So, uh, no victim at all. He was given a directive by God. He did it, then disobeyed the directive and was killed. And he was deceived into disobeying, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you don't listen to man. You listen to God. God told you himself, don't do this. Right. And then some guy says, well, God told me to tell you to do this. Yeah. So he was tricked. And instead of exactly the, the meaning would be, and cause this, obviously this stood out to me. I was like, what Mm -hmm. just happened? Mm Mm-hmm. And I, the message I took away is, um, if you believe you have heard from God, that's the that's the end of the line. That's, that's all the, the period that's, on that's, the sentence. Yeah, that's all the evidence you need, or right. the only explanation you need. And the, the alternative to that is death. Full stop. So, uh, in the the long term, full the the long term conclusion of disobedience from God is death. Um, and and the fact that there was no victim there, other than than then himself, God. Then, himself and God. Yeah, and maybe you know. God's plan had that man um, done what he was told. Now, John, let me ask you this. Yeah. Know. What What do you say to someone who would listen to that story and say, what kind of God kills a prophet for that? You know, is he just playing some kind of cosmic checkers with us and he's just messing with us and our life is so meaningless that a guy would lose his life for that? What, what's your, what's your uh, response to that? My best bet is that uh, he did it. And so that it would be in scriptures and that it would teach us lessons further on. And that um, I believe that guy is with God in the full presence right now. I think that uh, mm-hmm. however you feel about um, whether there was heaven pre-Jesus or if they right. went to some limbo until Jesus came. Regardless, I believe he's in heaven right now. And uh, and there are worse fates than that for sure. Yeah, this is a total parenthesis to our conversation. But um, it does feel to me, and this sounds harsh or maybe um, authoritarianly simplistic, but everybody dies mm-hmm. when you die and, and your life is a vapor no matter what. So when you die and the purposes of God is really kind of irrelevant, God can do that anytime he wants to, because the, the difference between living to your 20 or living to your 90, while it feels like a massive difference in the eternal spectrum, it's nothing. And he's going to make up for it in spades in eternity. Right. And, and 
he's a nameless prophet, so this is kind of weird to say, but this was maybe, you know, what, like 4,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago? Yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm not entirely sure, actually. Maybe sooner than that. But um, this guy, you know, we're talking about him right now. Mm-hmm. He played a big role in the story of God, even even though he's only in one chapter or one right. paragraph. Yeah. Um, there he is. Yeah. How many people can say that back then? So he played this role in the story of God, and then he was freed from his mortal Interesting. Coil. I don't know. That's, that'd be my, my initial yeah. swing at it. Okay, so... But it, yeah. is, it is... It raises an eyebrow for sure. Yeah. Same with uh, Elisha calling the bears on the children. Yeah. So let's let's go a little broader here, and then we'll take a break in just a moment. Um, so what makes something wrong? Okay, number one, it violates a core conviction of who you are. These people don't feel like their actions are wrong because they uh, have a world they believe in, and this behavior is in alignment with that world. Mm-hmm. But if you were to violate your core convictions, you're doing something wrong, even if it's, you know, I heard the story of a guy who said he came out of a bowling alley and God said, don't ever go back into one of those ever again. And so he never has. And he doesn't think everybody should avoid bowling alleys, but that was what he felt like from God and he ain't ever going back. So for him to go bowling, this is a ridiculous example, but that would be wrong because he would be violating something he deeply believes. Maybe he'd roll a strike and then a lion would come in and kill him (laughs) and stand by his body. Yeah. Uh, You know, the lion standing by his body, what does that mean to you? Well, to me, it shows that God killed him. It shows that this was not a random animal who killed him to eat him. He killed him because he needed to die, and then he stood without eating his body to show that it was not just wild animal killing for food. It was a a smiting. And see, not only that, that lion is going to, fight away any other predators who want to eat his body. Mm-hmm. So God is honoring his body by protecting it. So this is where my mind goes so that no other animals come and eat it because, um, you know, that I'll throw your body to the animals. That was a, oh, sure. that was a grotesque way to humiliatingly kill someone. Your, your body will be food for the jackals, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And God would not let that happen, even though he had died for his disobedience. And uh, thinking of the context of the lion of the tribe of Judah, you've got Jesus as the lion of God. I mean, so there's a lot you could go with there that's pretty uh, fascinating to think about. And the context of the time, this priest of the king um, shares a meal with this guy, even though he knows that he wasn't supposed to do that. He lies to him mm-hmm. and sees that God kills him. So maybe it's a message to this priest. Right. And this is this is in the in the middle of the decline of Israel, so uh, they yeah. wouldn't turn away from that for a, you know ever yeah. until the until they fell apart as a kingdom until Babylon, I guess. Yeah, that's uh, really interesting. Yeah. Okay, what else might make something wrong? Okay, if God tells you, then it's wrong, right? Um, if personal you're conviction, vi- you personal conviction, uh, cr- uh, victims, mm-hmm. victims make something wrong. Yeah, you could do a you could do a non wrong thing, but it creates a victim, which makes it a wrong thing. Yeah, I guess that's that's a that's the butterfly effect. That's thinking of you know all the crazy um, um, uh, possible effects of one of your actions. You yeah. know, that's harder harder to think about than yeah. Than, but but yeah, I think and more often than not, I lean on I like conscience. I think conscience is most more often than not trustworthy. Um, especially for for things that are not gray. Like if it feels wrong, chances are it mm-hmm. is it is wrong. What about this, John? We hold these truths to be self evident. That idea of self evidence that all men this is our our uh, Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So the idea of um, um, apparent revelation, we have self-evident truth. Mm-hmm. Are there things that are self-evidently wrong? Well, and I think this is where we, this is where a lot of splits happen because when you this the, a worldview that says um, we are just really really smart animals mm-hmm. that we we um, especially when you say you got nine you know the chimpanzee has ninety eight percent of your DNA right. A banana you're you're two percent different. Yeah, banana has over ninety percent of our DNA as well. That's insane, kind of isn't it? Yeah. Um. But but yeah, exactly. And how if you think that there is no soul, there is just this, and uh, and we are we are smart animals. And then you look at the natural world, and you think what what self evidence is, and that's when you break down these things like monogamy because you mm-hmm. see. Monogamy is a human thing. I think there there are other species that mate for life, but other mammals, other uh, yeah, I think swans maybe. Mm. Um, uh, and then so you start to think, well, well, then we must have come up with these rules ourselves. 
which to me doesn't make any sense. I don't know if humans on their own would be like, we let's stop at one sexual partner each. You'd think as depraved as we are, it would be like, well, with the curse of, you know, the woman, your desire will be for your husband, but he'll rule over you because it's been a male dominated world. Men were allowed to have concubines and other wives while the wife could only have one husband. Mm -hmm. So there was a, there was a social construct there because sure. men were bigger and stronger and they ruled the world. Yeah. But otherwise self-evidence, I, I think means, uh, basically consciences. Most of the time you can tell, um, when things don't feel right, but that document was written by, um, British men in the 1700s. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they, their self-evidence was particular it was freedom was part of that self-evidence because they lived in a, a freer society and they were trying to create an even more free society. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It, it's, it's a whole, cause think about what would be self-evident to a, to a, an Eastern culture, uh, person in the 1700s. Mm -hmm. It might look different. Yeah. They might think that a family unit is, is the, one of the, the, the greatest pursuits of life and, and your community Yeah, instead of the really, um, independent minded. Mm -hmm. And this is why I think the morality discussion is, is if nothing else fun to have to think about what is right or wrong to people without a foundational book mm -hmm. i don't know and not to say the founding fathers or an eastern well and this you know. becomes a pivotal part of the shaping of our culture for the future right if you systematically remove monotheism from the american way there is no god um, because all of our laws come from god there if you if you take away a god and we are all animals then you now have removed the kingpin the only thing that makes one thing wrong or right is the opinion of the masses. Mm. So if more people Consensus. think it's wrong, yeah. yeah, then it's wrong. And uh, whereas if you have an absolute there that you look to for these principles, that gives some guidance to all of us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's do our uh, show and tell real quick. It's your turn this, this okay. week. And then we'll do our commercial break. Just kind of breathe for a bit. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll finish it off at the end. Okay. My show and tell item today I got from a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Hop. Hop. That's Hop. His birth name? Or no, his name is Howard Palmer, uh, <laughs> and he goes by Hop. Okay. And Hop is a eighth grade math teacher, and he's got a ZZ Top beard, and he's a, a Harley riding, really awesome guy. So um, that's a good name. Yeah, Hop. I love that, and I think he's going on a ride this summer. We're going to do a, um, me and a group of guys are going to do a thirteen day ride. All the way out to Denver and back, taking nice. lots of sightseeing, see some national parks, blah, 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 blah. That sounds awesome. And Hop's going to go on that with me. So uh, so when Hop found out that I'd bought a Harley and I'd been doing some riding, he gave- a math teacher? Yeah. I would would not have Former military man. Yeah. I, you look at him. Yeah, there's no way you think eighth grade math teacher. Sure. Yeah. Uh, which is, makes it even more cool. Yeah. I bet every eighth grade student loves him. I bet he's the favorite teacher. And he teaches in Tonino. Oh, nice. Really? Yeah. He's a Tanino Beaver. For uh, Tanino Middle School? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, Hop brought me a gift one day at the church, and it is a small bell. Be about the size of a beefy man's uh, pointing finger tip. The last knuckle. The last knuckle. That this, this bell is about that size, and it's pewter. I'm pretty sure it's pewter. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what that is. You don't know what pewter is? Is it a, a? I don't know what pewter is either. Except I know what it looks like. It's a it's a metal that's uh, okay. gray like silver. Only it's got uh, no shine to it. Okay, a little dull. It's a little dull. Um, and so I'm assuming this is pewter. Um, and so it's a bell. And the only thing on the body of the bell is a large American flag. Okay. And then it has a hook at a hoop at the top. And leather straps that come out that have tied in there. And these bells, um, motorcycle guys, tie these bells onto the bottom undercarriage of their motorcycle. If you look at Harleys, you ever come up on a Harley in a parking lot, look underneath and you'll see a bell hanging there from almost every one of them. Really? Yeah. And it's like a little gift that you give to a guy with his Harley. And it's each bell has meaning to each guy. And it's a little bit like... Um, an extra layer of security because motorcycle riding can be very dangerous. And, um, this is like a thing that's, uh, like a good luck bell, like a, I don't know. It's very sweet. 
It is. It's very uh, yeah. These, it's a lot these more big tender. hairy guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, before I ever owned a Harley, I knew all the Harley jokes. Mm. You know, like what's the difference between a Hoover vacuum cleaner and a Harley? The position of the dirt bag. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. So uh, uh, so you know, you look at these Harley guys and you think that you know those jokes make sense, but they're actually an incredibly caring community, looking out for each other. Harley, one of the Harley Davidson deals is, you know, buy a motorcycle, get a community for free. Gotcha. And you really do. You get a community. You go anywhere on these rides and you stumble into towns with total strangers, park their bikes, and you can spend an hour talking about where you've been and what bike they ride and what they've done to it. And it's just a wonderful part of the whole thing. That's cool. Anyway, so I have this bell. So now I'll show it to you. Did you pull that off your motorcycle? No, I haven't actually installed it yet because mine had a bell on it. I bought a used one. And uh, so before we do this ride on June 29th, I'm going to uh, install my new bell. I'm surprised the guy didn't take the American flag. If it's so special, I'm surprised the guy who sold it didn't take his bell off. Yeah, uh, probably never thought of it. Or maybe his bell wasn't special to him. This is very cool. Yeah. It's heavier. Now, Mm -hmm. I'll replace the leather straps with zip ties or supplement it with zip ties because leather getting wet and stuff, that would weaken over time. Yeah. And what's it say there at the top? Uh oh, collectible, collectibles TM. There you go. Thought that was gonna be trademark. A little more, thought that was gonna be a little more sentimental. <laughs> uh, I like it. the The flag on there is like yeah. Really inside raised. inside is engraved. Uh, love and kisses hop. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the flag is uh, raised. It's a raised thing on top of the bell, not etched inside. It's kind of a yeah. It's it's like uh, I don't know like what you call it on top of it almost, yeah. but. Uh, I actually, if this is pewter, then I'm a fan of pewter. Feel it looks like iron. Well, I I'm guessing it's pewter. Uh, my mother had a collection of pewter statues and stuff. Sure. And so I got very familiar with pewter as a kid. That's what it looks like to me, but it may not be. You did a pretty good job. It's a simple item, so I'll I'll give you a I'll give you an A oh, A minus A minus. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, so it keeps wild animals. I have another thing on my uh, Harley as well, a little plastic. It looks like a, uh, it looks like it could be a laser pointer. Oh, yeah? And uh, when the wind flies through it while you're riding, it actually puts out a whistle that you can't hear as humans, but animals can hear it. Really? And so it, it reduces supposedly the risk of a deer coming across the street to hit you. Huh. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know if it works or not, but I keep it on there. And I like the idea. Yeah. These morning and evening rides, you know, in the two-lane highways out in the woods, you do concern yourself with animals crossing the street. Yeah. And supposedly that's a... That's a feature that'll help you with that. They should make some that play tunes on like a a recorder or something. (laughs) All right. Let's do our commercial. We'll come back and we'll wrap this up. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team. Listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content, as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives, and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com, where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. And uh, John, you've got another twist to this whole idea, maybe about how to choose what is right as well as what is wrong. Uh, it's more just the idea of, um, of again, this this kind of finding your own way through things versus a, a prescriptive... A compass. A compass, yeah. And uh, and part of this is is that we, we've talked only about wrongs. Mm-hmm. And I realized during this that uh, um, on a, a just secular level i'm just trying to think through this on without you know as much as you can without these other forces um that consensus seems to be pretty okay on what is wrong with with this this victim uh uh, stuff and and socially and and legally what needs to be outlawed and stuff like that but on what is um what is right or pure is is kind of any man's anybody's guess 
Mm. Uh, because it's not necessarily important to the good of a group of people, or or you could say that to where uh, the virtues of a people are harder to nail down. Like, and I think that's what I was what I was getting at earlier before I had this kind of aha is the virtues of the people who wrote the Constitution are different, even though they might agree with what is wrong with a person from an Eastern philosophy, where their virtues are different. So and they might disagree about what is best, but they do agree about what is wrong. I would I would think so. And uh, and you get into different stuff when you talk about um, polygamy and cultures and stuff like that. And some people would say, some cultures would say that is wrong more than others. But uh, the, the virtues are kind of... Um, I don't know. They're more diverse, mm-hmm. and and I think that is uh, the idea of a a living righteously or living pure or living right is maybe dying faster than our rules. I feel like rules or or the negative is is easier to agree on a lot of the time. I don't know. What what is there anything to that? Or am I well, not? I don't know. I think I think that what's wrong is becoming a smaller and smaller and smaller thing right. because we're getting down to the essences of what's wrong. What's clearly wrong is to hurt someone or betray someone sure so i I guess Uh, what i'm saying is the value of a marriage right so so the secular view might say that this swinger couple yeah because they're consenting to it and they're engaging other swinger couples that there is no more virtue or no less virtue in that than in a successful uh monogamous marriage who has good friends yeah exactly and and that we would say that there is actual righteousness and purity in a long-standing healthy uh, monogamous marriage if they're, you know, Jesus is, is in there with them and they're, they're living to glorify God, mm-hmm. there is a, there's value there where, um, secularly it's, it's one-to-one. There's no victim. There's no, they're the same. That's interesting. Now, and, and I think this might blend back into one thing you said earlier that's very fascinating to me that we did not touch back on that, that may tell me if this blends into what you're saying, sure. that we find adultery to be morally wrong, but it's not a criminal act. Mm-hmm. So even though this is, which is interesting to me because you are violating a contract, a covenant you entered into. Yeah. Um, but, but we don't have laws against adultery. We only have, um, we only have your, 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 um, legal action would be to divorce that person because of that adultery, but we don't, it's not a criminal act. But, uh, so our society probably would say it's wrong to commit adultery, but it's not criminal. Mm Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't say necessarily. I think that's more of a um, and the word it just keeps escaping me. I keep using this the word social morality, but really I mean what it takes to to have a healthy um, governed people. Mm. And because I, I don't think that uh, things that make cultures and communities work exactly the just functioning rules. I don't think it'll social be, constructs. Yeah, I guess uh, I don't think it should be illegal. I don't think lying should be illegal because. I couldn't sentence a man to jail for cheating on his wife. I think those are the consequences of those actions are personal and spiritual. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's ruining his own life just fine by breaking those. And because the victim, uh, um, scale, the, mm-hmm. it does this hurt somebody that is actually useful for laws because the only reason we have a jail, I mean, it is punitive. It is to punish people, but it is also to, to keep people safe. And so something that has no victim shouldn't necessarily be illegal. Mm. Uh, that's the the thing with seatbelt laws. You know, a person who says, well, this shouldn't be a law because I'm only hurting myself if I don't wear my seatbelt. Um, that's that's that kind of mentality more than the um, idea of righteousness, which doesn't exist in a secular right. sense. Now, I'm going to get really um, ideological here. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who rigs the stock market where they create a software package and they get one one millionth of a penny on every transaction that happens. And the stock market never notices and people never notice. And it's like this uh, lucrative win from the game itself. And it doesn't hurt anybody, right? Mm. Um, It does hurt because you have altered the game. Yeah. And so um, it is... It is possible, I think, that to to be wrong in a victimless crime because you change the environment by being an environment where these crimes happen. Sure. So, for example, adultery is not criminal, but it is wrong because it sabotages the security children ought to feel in their in their families, and, totally. it's, and it sabotages emotional, mental health, and trust as a currency in a culture. When a currency lacks the ability to have uh, any confidence and trust you have sabotaged the entire culture. And I think my, my takeaway for this is that the, um, the rules of God 
are not just um, him trying to make you do dances and like seeing all that you can do. Mm-hmm. Like it's they make sense, and the, the ones that we don't abide by anymore, the law of the of the people of Israel, were because we don't necessarily like like the the food laws, mm-hmm. uh, not cooking uh, pork or bottom feeders. That was for the safety of his people who right. couldn't necessarily determine. Um, the the safety of what they were and eating treating something as unclean and now you have to stay outside the camp for two days whatever exactly it kept the spread of infectious diseases before there were vaccines and all kinds of other things right so in the same way these um social laws that we still hold on to the the um commands of god are because it is it is the objective good thing for your children to have both uh, parents in love with each other and in the same house right for their whole lives. Yeah, it, it produces better humans. Right, and your marriage together without any um, any other sexual influences produces a better marriage, both for your kids and for yourselves. So and less disease. Right, and so it's it is it's not just um, some, you know, throwing closing your eyes and throwing darts at a board to pick right. laws. Right, uh, and that if you don't have a baseline, you're just. You know, you see how how cultural rights and wrongs have shifted over the past forty years, even right. further than that, especially. But but it's it's speeding up. That without a baseline, you're just kind of uh, you're just, just figuring it out. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's whoever has the highest loudest voice or the most votes. Yeah. All right. What's your takeaway from this whole conversation? Well, that, that was it. That was my takeaway. Was the uh, one these laws are wisdom. Mm-hmm. They're not just shake, pulling your leg. And that um, that without them you you make up the stuff as you go as a yeah. as a as a uh, group of people and a culture that is figuring stuff out on its own you just kind of wing it yeah I would say my takeaway is because I and I think personality and temperaments do color how you oh, view yeah. this I'm sure but I I am comfortable with an authoritarian God and I am comfortable I'm comforted by the notion that something's wrong just because God said it is. And it actually liberates me from having to think deeply about certain things. I can just be obedient rather than try to, you know, get under the hood of all that. And there are a lot of people who cringe at that sentence. I know. And I, and I really do love that. But I would say this is popped in my head as we were talking. This is my big takeaway that the 10 commandments are brilliant. Mm. You can build healthy societies and communities on nothing but the 10 commandments. They really do cover every Every essential rule you would need to have a fully functioning family and community and government are really wrapped in those Ten Commandments. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Awesome. I think that'll do it for for this week. Uh, As you guys heard in the commercial, you can check us out. I think, actually, I haven't listened to the thing in a while. Our Instagram, (laughs) if if it's not there, our Instagram is at Jim and John, no H in the John. Website is jimandjohn.com. Uh, we would love you guys to check this out. Our show and tell item will be as a blog post on the Jim and John website under blog. Uh, and it'll be posted on social media on, on Instagram eventually. Yeah, get a picture of my little bell. Yeah. And, uh, man, thanks for listening. Uh, introduce us to one friend. Tell uh, tell one friend about uh, Jim and John. Pick your favorite episode and share that episode with, your, with a friend. That would be a cool thing you could do. And we're just grateful. Love doing this. John, thanks for spending time with me. And, of course, uh, thank you for listening. Have a great day. Thank you.